And now, Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC. Headaches are a very common complaint we see in our children's, teens, and adults. Today, we're going to be discussing headache management and prevention today with pediatric neurologist Dr. Sarah Connerly. We will also delve into other topics in pediatric neurology, including seizures. Um, seizures are very common, affect about 3 million people. Um, so, And some of you may have experience with this with your child or maybe even yourself. So we'd love to hear any questions and comments you may have. So give us a call at one 877 MPB ring. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can always send us an email at kids at mpbonline.org. So welcome, Dr. Connerly. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so um, Sarah Connerly is a pediatric neurologist at uh, the University Hospital at the Batson Children's Hospital. Um, so a little background about what a pediatric neurologist is. Um, So a neurologist is a physician that specializes in treating disorders of the nervous system, um, which that includes the brain, the spinal cord, can be muscles, um, the nerves too. Um, And so they they do a pretty good bit of training. (laughs) We we do. (laughs) Um, They, uh, Sarah, completed three years of pediatric residency Mm -hmm. and then went in to do three more years in neurology training. So... um, she is very qualified to answer any and all of our questions. So um, please give us a call and let us know um, if you have any questions or any st- stories and experiences that you want to share with us. Um, so today we were going to start off by talking just about headaches um, because I feel like I see headaches in um, kids, uh, definitely in teenagers. It's a For very sure. common complaint in teenagers um, and my adult patients as well. Um Headaches are something that plague all of us. Yeah, they definitely do. So um, it, across you know any age group, at least one in ten are going to have a headache, a significant headache, you know, um, during a period of time. And children, we know, especially teenagers, that's really getting up to even like twenty five percent are going to have significant headaches. So definitely, um, among people listening, there's some people that are affected out there. For sure. What are some um, common causes, before we kind of get into all the different types of headaches, what are just some common causes that you see for just generalized headaches? Yeah, so probably the number one cause of a recurrent headache is even minor dehydration. So not getting enough um, liquids in, and really that's water, you know. Mm -hmm. Drinking a lot of caffeine can make headaches worse. Um, So just kind of just not taking good care of your body, you know, is probably the number one trigger. Um, Staying up late at night, not wearing glasses when we need glasses, kind of simple things like that. Um, Sleep. Sleep, absolutely. Um, Making sure that you're not skipping breakfast, skipping lunch. So, yeah, hunger can definitely yes, do it. Yes. Um, and there are certain foods and different things. You mentioned caffeine, right. um, yeah. but certain foods that seem to trigger headaches in yeah. people, too. So, so caffeine, um, it, it, you know, we say it is a drug, so use it like a drug. So, I mean, don't take it every day. <laughs> you can take it when you have a headache, but not every day. Um, but foods, the biggest one is actually um, MSG. So it's, you know, in Chinese food. But it's also in any flavored chip or cracker, pretty much, that mm-hmm. monosodium glutamate, um, especially the hot chips that kids love to eat. <laughs> it's loaded with those. So, um, But others like preserved meats, um, nitrites and nitrates are what's in that. And those can be a big trigger for headaches as well. Yeah. yeah. So um, how when somebody comes into clinic for headaches, um, one of the things that we always do is we take a very thorough history and an exam. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can learn a lot about what is probably causing somebody's headaches um, by just talking to them and getting a good history. Uh, so we we usually tell people to do what we call a headache diary. That's right. Um, so tell us a little bit about like what kind of things do parents need to be looking for to tell us yeah. about these headaches? Um, when we say, you know, keep a headache diary, we mean, um, you know, whenever you have a bad headache or have one of your typical headaches, write down everything that happened in the 24 hours prior. So write down, um, what did you eat? How much sleep did you get the night before? Um, how much water did you have to drink that day and the day prior? 
Um, but then also write down what this headache feels like. You know, what mm-hmm. side of the head is it on? And how does it, how would you describe it? Is it stabbing? Is it throbbing? Is it just dull? Is anything else happening at the same time? Meaning, right. do I feel sick at my stomach? Do my arms and legs feel like they're working okay? Um, and we talk about a 24-hour recall because it may not be something that happened that day. It may not be what you had for lunch that gave you that 2 p.m. headache. It actually may be something you ate the night before. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, and, you know, nowadays uh, you can just jot it down in your phone. That's oh, there are loads of apps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what that's what I usually tell my patients is um, in their notes, mm-hmm. little app thing. Right. But, I mean, I don't know if there's any other apps out there. There are, and um, I don't know the name of any in particular. <laughs> but if you, if you just searched uh, basically a headache diary, there are some different yeah. ones out there that, yeah. that you can certainly try. Yeah, so. or just writing them down in a journal Absolutely. either way. Yeah. Um, but I know sometimes that's hard to keep up with. Yeah, <laughs> Establishing a pattern is, is really helpful, A, because you can figure out what's triggering your headaches. Right. Um, and B, then you can kind of show your doctor, you know, this is kind of what's going on and maybe help figure out what type of headache you have. Yeah. And it's important to make sure you document, too, like she said, those other symptoms that you're having right. with the headaches, too, because... Um, as we'll talk about later, there are certain types of headaches that have other symptoms associated with them. That's right. Um, so if you, you know, if you have nausea with it or you vomit with it, mm-hmm. or if you have vision changes or numbness, tingling, um, it's very important to write those down too, because that could help us when we're trying to figure out what's causing these headaches and what type of headaches you're actually having. So, um, so yeah, so most of our headaches, uh, syndromes are mm-hmm. going to be diagnosed what we call clinically. Right. So just based off of what we see and hear in the clinic. So like what we are told um, with our history and then also with our physical exam. Right. Um, so uh, we, sh- we do a neurologic exam, um, which we usually do pretty much every time, but a more right. dedicated neurologic exam. Um, so you may see us, uh, you know, making them do funny things like follow our finger, um, shrug your shoulders, stick your tongue out. <laughs> um, that's when we test your strength and your reflexes, mm-hmm. make you do funny things like stand up and close your eyes or um, walk on a balance beam, walk on the balance beam, walk like a duck. Well, yeah. <laughs> that's one of the things the kids always liked is mm-hmm. the walking like the duck. Um so, yeah, so we can learn a lot. You can. Just mm-hmm. by that. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of times people will come in and ask if they need pictures of their brain. So whether right. that be like a CT or an MRI. Um, so tell us a little bit about that. You don't always need that. No, you definitely don't. So in a majority of cases, if you have a primary headache type, meaning nothing is causing it, um, which is, is the majority of headaches, you really don't need imaging. So um, if your history supports that this is going to fall into a primary headache, which usually is a tension type or a migraine headache in kids, um, then your neuro- neurologic exam should be normal. And if it's not, then that might be a situation that we would get imaging of the head, either a CAT scan if we're worried about something emergently, or that's also a CT, or an MRI if we were worried about maybe something else going on. Um, some of the maybe concerning things that we would hear in a history would be like, you know, they only happen at night and I wake up and I vomit and, you know, and then immediately I'm better. So things that wake you up in the middle of the night, maybe a little bit more concerning. Um, but majority of cases, you really don't need imaging um, because the neurologic exam should be normal. Right, right. We're talking today about headaches, and um, we have pediatric neurologist Dr. Sarah Connerly. We're also going to get into some other topics in neurology, so we'd love to hear any questions and comments you may have. So give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. So, yeah, so like Dr. Connerly was saying, um, those certain kind of warning or red right. flag signs red flags, yes. is the term that we use um, to look for in the headaches. And that would mean that um, you need to get to see a doctor sooner rather than later Correct. to get these headaches checked out. Because uh, most of the time you can manage headaches at home. And most of the time parents don't bring your kids in for headaches because... If you did, you'd be at the doctor all the time. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So, you know, the red flag symptoms, like she said, waking you up in the middle of the night, vomiting would be another Mm -hmm. one. Um, 
definitely if you had any kind of focal weakness or yes. focal neurologic findings. So right. um, that could be anything. But and when we say focal, that means in one spot. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, not being able to move your arm as one arm as well or one leg as well or mm-hmm. numbness, tingling, things like that. Right. You would want to get checked out. Right. As well. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and like I said, sooner rather than later, I wouldn't let that go. in. Right. Don't just say that might get better. So, which you can have some of those symptoms during a headache, and actually, that be um, kind of normal. But if it's persisting when you do not have a headache, that is not normal, and you definitely need to see someone uh, that day, preferably. Yes, yes, yes. And so, headaches—they um, tend to run in families. Right? They do, absolutely. Yeah. So, if um, you have a history of headaches, mm-hmm. uh, it's you know, more than likely your kid may experience those as well. Um, So they do tend to run in families, and that always helps us with Mm -hmm. the diagnosis as well, especially when we're trying to delve out and figure out what kind of headaches people are having. Right. Um, And it's important to know what kind of headaches people are having because it helps us figure out how to treat it. Yes, absolutely. Um, You know, the tension-type headache, which is what I would just call a, quote, regular headache. You know, that's Mm -hmm. the annoying one um, that really is treated with lifestyle measures, you know, meaning going back to drinking plenty of water, sleeping, you know, the appropriate number of hours at night. But migraine headaches sometimes do require medications or other uh, interventions to prevent headaches. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So we're going to continue our discussions on headaches and all things pediatric neurology after the break. Give us a call. We'd love to hear any questions and comments that you may have. Call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 And we'll be back after the break. is kind of like that hairstyle you had in high school. Really cool back in the day. But that old car is still cool when you donate it to MPB Think Radio. Go to mpbonline.org for details. Then sit back and enjoy the ride. Now that's cool. Survivors of domestic violence have limited resources, and for immigrant women, the situation is even worse. Survivors themselves want to disappear. They feel as if if they can't get a restraining order, they don't feel safe going to the police. They would prefer if their location was secret. An underground network of support fills the gap for immigrant women. That's next time on The Takeaway from WNYC and PRI. Today at 2 on MPB Think Radio. News you can trust in radio built around you. Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Southern Remedy, kids and teens. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, kids at mbbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine. Today we have Dr. Sarah Connerly, who is a pediatric neurologist down at UMMC in the Batson Children's Hospital. And we're talking about headaches, seizures, and anything that you have questions about in pediatric neurology. Um, so please give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. One eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. So earlier we were talking about headaches and um, how we diagnose headaches and uh, the importance of knowing the full story and the symptoms and um, how often they're happening, associated symptoms, different things that may be occurring with them, uh, along with them, and 
you know, a diet history because mm-hmm. we had talked about how important diet is in relation to headaches. So um, we'll delve in a little bit about the different types of headaches and what symptoms you may see and along with treatment for it. But we've got a couple of calls, so we'll we'll go to our callers first. We've got Craig from Biloxi. Thanks for calling, Craig. Go ahead. Yes, uh, good morning. Good morning. I, I had a case of West Nile virus a month ago, and my head hurt for a month. Uh, and, and that's meningitis, and, and does it, can that turn into encephalitis where the, where the infection goes to your brain? Well, meningitis is infection of kind of the surrounding um, tissues of the brain. Um, can it go to the brain? Um, you know, it can at times, but a lot of times it doesn't. You know, meningitis itself is, like I said, it's in that casing that's surrounding the brain. Um, viral meningitis are a little bit of less concern, like West Nile, than like a bacteria meningitis, which is um, can be more serious and can go to more like an encephalitis picture. Okay. How, how do you get bacterial meningitis? The, the West Nile is from mosquito. You, just like you can get um, like a bacterial pneumonia and other things, it's it kind of can get in, the bacteria can get into your bloodstream and then that can get into your spinal fluid and to um, into your brain. Okay, through a break in your skin. Usually, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's most of the time I would say it's probably hematologic spread or having a bacteria infection in your blood that breaks that blood brain barrier right. and gets into your spinal fluid. Right. Um, that's that's probably the most common, um, but there's a lot of people that are on um, immunosuppression medications for right. different things like um, whether that be cancer or a rheumatologic process, and those are really our patients, um, especially in the adult population that we see. Now, we do see it in our children, um, some who have not been vaccinated right. or um, are exposed to different things, uh, but majority of the time it's it's usually younger children or um, our older patients or ones that are on immunosuppressant medicines okay that was it yeah thank you for your call okay bye-bye yeah so um the viral meningitis are probably going to be more common that's what we see absolutely fortunately yes because um as dr connerly said that the bacterial meningitis can cause lots of problems and um unfortunately have lots of neurologic sequelae too so uh, long-term problems down the road um next we'll go to connie she has a question about cerebral palsy thanks for calling connie go ahead Hi, I'm I'm not on the headache, so I'm a little off topic, but I I would like to ask the neurologist. I have a uh, great-grandson that uh, through the, uh, he was born early, and through the birth, he lost some oxygen, so he has cerebral palsy, which he's right as a chip, but it it affects his legs. And um, when he saw the neurologist, she told him that, the deal is he has some gray matter, some brain that died, and it will, the doctors explained that it will not get better, but it will not get worse. Now, I, I wasn't there, but I've always kind of wanted to uh, ask this question to someone. I know that um, with strokes and with um, other things that happen with you, neuro, uh, that you can, uh, your brain will take up on the, um, other side the part that you know there's so much of your brain that you're not using and sometimes it will compensate do you understand yeah yeah so i'm I'm probably not making good sense no you're making perfect sense so but i wonder why that his uh brain now he's done the casting he uses a walker and he's four and he's really doing excellent he's he's in therapy three days a week Mm -hmm. and uh, he's really doing excellent but I just wonder why his other side of his brain will not compensate to tell his legs how to work. Well, so, you know. Can I hang up and listen? I can hardly hear you. <laughs> okay. Um, so what we're talking about is, so if you do have an injury to the brain, like if you're born premature or for whatever reason the baby didn't get enough blood or oxygen during pregnancy or delivery, you can have an injured part of the brain and that causes scar tissue. So um, the brain, unlike maybe other tissues in our body, it cannot regrow. So if it's injured, um, there's going to be permanent scar tissue in that area. Um, 
when we're born, our brain is really not programmed to do anything except suck, swallow, breathe, you know, poop in a diaper. So if one part is injured, then, you know, that's supposed to maybe control how your legs function. Another part of your brain can maybe um, learn to do what the the injured part was supposed to do. So therefore, you know, you're able to walk, you're able to move. But that scar tissue never goes away. And so that scar tissue is what makes muscles tight. So while you're able to move, you're not able to um, get rid of what's making your muscles tight, which, um, you know, is probably why he needs a, a walker and is in therapy. So, um so you, what they what they told, um, I guess, mom, it sounds like in this original neuro meeting or neuro visit was correct in that it's not going to get worse, meaning that scar tissue is not going to get worse. But the scar tissue is also not ever going to go away. So that muscle tightness um, will always probably be there to some degree. Thank you for your call, Connie. Uh, OK, so it, so it never it didn't know how originally. So it can't like can't like go to the other side of the brain and tell it what it was doing well yeah so uh, you know another part of the brain can kind of learn how to do in some sometimes completely it can learn how to do what that injured area was supposed to do but it sometimes it only does that to a partial degree and everybody's different and there's no way to predict um which will have you know which outcome well thank you so much you're welcome thank you for your call so we're talking today with uh, pediatric neurologist, Dr. Sarah Connerly. Uh, we've been talking about headaches, and we were going to um, delve into a couple of other topics with pediatric neurology, and we'd love to hear any questions and comments that you may have. We've had a couple of callers share some different stories, and we can talk about anything. We don't; It doesn't necessarily have to be about headaches. So um, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 so you were saying earlier that the tension headache is going to be the most common right. headache that we right. um, experience. So what kind of symptoms would people expect for a tension headache? Usually that pain is going to be kind of all over. You know, my head hurts all over or maybe it just hurts in the front. Um, it's more likely um, an adult would describe it as dull, you know, or maybe just kind of stabbing. Um, a child is more likely to say it just hurts, mm-hmm. you know. Um, the opposite to that would be like throbbing or pounding or some younger kids will say something's beeping in my head Mm. um so it's kind of just more of a non-specific kind of pain you don't usually have nausea or vomiting to go along with attention type headache um you may have you know lights are kind of hurting my eyes you know i just kind of want to be somewhere quiet Um, but that's definitely to a lesser degree than some of our other headache types Usually you can kind of continue on with your day when you have attention-type headache. Some, doing something strenuous doesn't make your headache worse, um, and especially if it's something maybe you enjoy doing. Like if it, your teenager could probably still hang out with his friends <laughs> when he had attention-type headache, may want to come home from school, but those are two different things. Um, but meanwhile, like a migraine-type headache, so that's going to be typically more severe and um, would be limiting. And so what would you tell somebody? How would you treat a tension headache? We've talked about some of the lifestyle things, right. increasing your water, making sure you're getting a good night's sleep. But right. what are just some other remedies that they could do for those tension headaches? So, you know, just some over-the-counter Tylenol or ibuprofen um, absolutely could, you know, if it's a significant headache, um, would be recommended. The thing you have to be careful about is too much of a good thing. So if you take anything to stop a headache, including over-the-counter medications, more than about two or three days a week, it actually can make your headaches occur more often. So it's called, it's got a few different names, but medication overuse headache or rebound headache. Um, but anything over-the-counter would be would be fine for this headache type. Yeah, and that rebound headache is is pretty common because absolutely yeah you know especially if you get headaches rather frequently um you know if you have a crazy busy lifestyle Mm -hmm. which most of us do out there and so it's easy to get headaches um but yeah it's it's mostly because the brain we're we're blocking those um 
pain receptors. Um, So when when you actually open those back up and Mm -hmm. your body's not used to it, the pain can be amplified and more frequent. So um, so it's important to try, you know, we don't want you to be miserable and in pain with your headache. Um, But at some point, sometimes you have to break that cycle with the pain medicines. You do. Um, And that's a hard thing to explain to people. Right. And usually when I tell parents that, they look at me like I'm crazy. But, um, you know, you really have to try to pick, we say, your two worst headaches Mm -hmm. in a week and treat those. And then, you know, other ways that maybe could make a, especially a tension type headache go away is like we mentioned, so dehydration could be a trigger for it. Sometimes it can be a treatment for it too, meaning drinking plenty of water. So if you have a headache, drink a full glass or bottle of water, you know, first. Make sure, you know, have a little snack. Make sure that your blood sugar is not low, things like that. And then you may not even need your ibuprofen. Ibuprofen, yeah. All right, we'll go next. We've got another caller. We've got Roberta Natchez. Go ahead, Roberta. Hi, um, I have a instant sleep question for you. Um, my daughter is about ten and a half months old, and she is really struggling with teething right now. And in the past, we haven't had very good um, results with um, ibuprofen or um, Motrin, either you know, baby Tylenol or baby Motrin in treating that and um you know i don't want to just wait it out because she's obviously in pain and really restless at night um what are some other things i mean during the day it's easy to just give her like a frozen washcloth or a teether toy but what are some other things that i can do at night to just help her um you know that's tough and i say it's tough as a mother (laughs) because um you know we you know, we don't want our children hurting. Um, you know, at at night, ibuprofen, it, you know, it lasts, it has a longer um, duration that's going to last in your system. So as a physician and as a mom, I always liked that one, you know, more at night, making sure that you're given um, a weight appropriate dose, you know, asking your pediatrician, hey, how much, you know, would you give right. based off her current weight? Because what's on the back of the box may or may not be 100% accurate. Um, meaning, you know, maybe they could have a little bit more, but definitely you always want to talk to your pediatrician about that. Um, you know, I wish I had better <laughs> answers. Yeah. yeah. For, for teething. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of those topical teething medicines that had, yeah. um, the, uh, lidocaine and different things like, or a derivative of the lidocaine, we don't recommend those anymore. No. Right. Um, because they can affect the way oxygen carries blood mm-hmm. to your body. Um, so yeah, we try to avoid those, but like you said, um, cold things, not necessarily doesn't have to be frozen, but the cold right. tends mm-hmm. to help. Um, so cold things, letting them gnaw in things, but yeah, the, the nighttime is, is definitely difficult. It is. Um, but like she said, give them a little Motrin or ibuprofen before they go to bed, um, and making sure that it's the appropriate dose is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can alternate the Tylenol and Motrin as well. Um, we like to space a dose out every six hours for each, but you can actually give something every three hours. So when it's getting really bad, if they had, you know, Motrin at nine o'clock, it would be okay to give them a little dose of, of Tylenol at midnight if they right. were to wake up. Um, right. I wouldn't redose the Motrin, but you could give some Tylenol. So that just gives a little extra pain control for that. Um, sometimes teething can last for a while, but hopefully, you know, sometimes it only lasts for really bad for a couple of days till that tooth pops through. Right. So, um, right. But yeah, we're working we do- on quite a few, so yeah, <laughs> we're almost on a week of it. But um, you know, like you said, it could be like tonight; it'll just pop out, and she'll be completely fine. right. Just so, cross yeah. your fingers. Yes, <laughs> yes. What- I wish we, yeah. I wish we had some things. You know, they have those um, little amber necklaces mm-hmm. and things like that now um, that some people think helps um my cousin swears about it she used it for her third child and she didn't use it for her first two and she swore that it helps with the third one um, there's just not a ton of evidence out there um that's that says that that helps um but that is a natural thing that a lot of people are doing these days is wearing those little amber necklaces um but yeah Tylenol and Motrin are unfortunately about all we have besides the little cold teething rings and things like that all right well thank y'all yeah good yeah. luck I hope, good, hope yes. y'all get some rest good luck. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you for your call. 
So we'll continue our topic about pediatric neurology. We'll talk a little bit more about headaches, particularly migraines, because that's very common, and I myself have suffered from them. Me so, too. <laughs> so we understand how um, how annoying they can be. So we'll talk more about migraines, and we can uh, talk some about seizures or any other topics that you may have. So give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. And we'll be back after the break. everyone, I'm Russ Robinson inviting you to join us right here on MPB for Friday night. Under the lights, we'll get you all the scores and keep you up to date on all the players at 10 p.m. every Friday night this fall. Mississippi Public Broadcasting and Friday night under the lights. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by the generous support from you, our listeners. Attention all educators. MPB has partnered with the Secretary of State's office to host this year's Promote the Vote initiative. Help your students learn important lessons about civic engagement while having fun in the classroom. This opportunity is for K-12 through students across Mississippi. Get them engaged with a mock election, plus art and essay contests. For more information about Promote the Vote or to sign up your class or school, visit mpbonline.org. Listen again to stories and shows at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy, kids and teens. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, kids at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine. Today we have pediatric neurologists from the Batson Children's Hospital, Dr. Sarah Connor Leone with us. We've been talking about headaches, but we've had some calls about other topics in neurology. Um, and we appreciate your calls and we'd love to hear more from you. So give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. So we mentioned um, tension headaches and treating them with over-the-counter and lifestyle modifications. Um, Migraines are a little different um, and a lot of times require, depending on the severity of them and the frequency, um, prescription medications. Um, And so those are reasons why you would need to go to your doctor because um, we do have some pretty good treatments for migraines these days. Uh, So we'll get into that, but we've got a couple of callers, so we'll go first to our callers. We've got Catherine and Jackson. Go ahead, Catherine. I had a question that actually spans from childhood to adulthood. The use of cellular phones or other uh, handheld uh, material or video games, are you seeing a, uh, a rise in headaches because of the use or overuse of these objects? Um, well, to some degree, yes, but it's actually more probably computers um, and cell phones. And because of that, uh, or why we are seeing that is eye strain. So, you know, a lot of people can see the board fine, but as schools move more and more towards um, a lot of their educational material being on laptops, um, kids may need reading glasses for those screens just because of the stress it kind of puts on the eyes whenever you're looking at those two um, different kind of wavelengths of light. Um, and so some people need reading glasses and don't realize it, and that can be a big trigger for headaches. So in in that answer, yes. Um, video games and other things like that, we don't typically see uh, triggering headaches, but it's more of when you're reading um, a screen 
So definitely, um, if you know, if your child or as an adult, you know, if you're doing a lot of computer work and you suddenly start having headaches, it's if you haven't had your eyes checked recently, meaning in the past maybe six, twelve months, it's definitely time to get them checked. But it's not detrimental to the brain. It's no, just might be hurting the eyes. I right. Think. It's just right. It's just those eye muscles are having to work harder than they you know want to, and so that okay. gives you that tension type headache. Yeah. Okay, because you know you see the little, little children with these um, objects at such a young age. I just want to make sure that they're not being overstimulated or something that would um, affect them futuristically. Yeah, right now we don't have any research to show that, you know, uh, use of electronic devices at an early age causes any brain damage. Um, Yeah. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for your call. Um, But about screen time. Yes, uh, but but but. we do recommend, (laughs) and the AAP does have a pretty strong stance on that, of no screen time um, until the children get older. And that that can be for... um, I think their standpoint is not necessarily the damage to the brain or right. the vision. It's more of just developmental reasons. Right. Just that lack of interaction. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. So we want um, parents to be reading to their children right. and playing with their children um, and not just watching on the iPad. Right. Um, so that's where, uh, you know, the lack of screen time, definitely, we we definitely do recommend not a lot of screen yeah, time absolutely. for our children, um, and especially under age two. Um, but, uh, you know, that it's more from a developmental standpoint. Right. So um, next we'll go to Joe in Brookhaven. Go ahead, Joe. Yes, ma'am. Um, my wife got a disease. They, I can't think of the name of it right now, but her discs are deteriorating. And we got to go to the doctor to see about it. And I want to know some questions I make an ask because they told her there wasn't really nothing they could do about it. Yeah, it, um, if I if I had to guess, it's probably um, degenerative uh, disc disease. That's it, that's it. Yeah, and that's a that's a pretty common complaint. I uh, mean, common cause of back pain as you get older. Um, you can kind of think of it like an arthritis kind of in your in your back. Um, and so it happens as you get older. Um, some people are affected more than others, especially if you've had injuries to your back, you're probably going to be prone to more, um, degenerative changes back there. Um, but yeah, it's a very common cause of back pain. Unfortunately, there's not a ton we can do for it. Um, physical therapy helps a lot. So that may be something you could talk to them about if they thought physical therapy would help. Um, just kind of supportive care with some Tylenol. Uh, there are also some pain management doctors that can do some different injections and things like that that are just some local procedures that can help. Um, but a lot of times we, we don't take to surgery. Um, well, not me. The neurosurgeons don't take or orthopedic surgeons don't take to surgery a lot unless there's some compression um, that they see uh, from on the spine and the spinal cord from all the degenerative changes. See, she had an injury in 012. She fell and she broke the bone that that your head spins on. Did your head rotate on? Uh-huh. And it took almost a year before they found out what it was. You know, they thought it was converging this dysfunction. Mm-hmm. We know it they stuck in the state hospital and thought it was a mental thing. And it's at the state hospital where they found out what was wrong with her. And she was paralyzed about a year. Oh my goodness! I had to be a I had to be a husband for that year. Oh yeah, <laughs> I bet. Well, she'll never be you know per- perfect anyway. She's perfect enough for me. Yeah, yeah. well, that's good but, to hear. But uh, yeah, I wanted to know when we go there next week. I want to know question night, and then you know what I can ask the doctor to kind of help her out some. Yeah, well, I would ask them about if they thought some physical therapy yeah, may help. Um, because that's usually one of the first places we start is some physical therapy. And the physical therapy helps them with some stretching and different strengthening exercises that they can do. Um, and that's that's usually where we like to start, unless there is any concern that it could be on the, you know, compression to the spinal cord. Okay. Yeah, she was paralyzed from the mouth down. Oh, goodness. Wow. Well, I'm glad she's doing much better, and I, I hope y'all's appointment goes well and that you get the answers that y'all need. Y'all not getting it. I think she was paralyzed from the mouth down. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> mouth still worked. All right, yeah. All right, good. Thanks for your call. Okay, bye-bye. 
Um, we're talking today about pediatric neurology, and we'll continue our discussions about headaches. We'd love to hear any questions and comments, so give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. So migraines, tell us a little bit about what would be different between a migraine and a tension headache. Yeah, so a migraine in adults definitely is more likely to be on one side of the head. So maybe just on the right side, just on the left side. And kids, actually, it can still be both sides. And um, so that's a little bit different. But it's more likely, kind of as I alluded to earlier, to being throbbing, pounding, like a pulsatile headache. Um, Younger kids, for whatever reason, they describe it as beeping. Or they say they feel that they can uh, they feel their heart in their head, and I think they're just trying to, you know, tell you about that pounding sensation. Mm-hmm. It is going to be typically a more severe headache. So this is not the I continue to play. This is I'm crying, and you know I'm I need to stop what I'm doing. Activity does make these types of headaches worse. So like especially like exercise, you're gonna you're gonna need to stop. You're gonna want to stop. You can have a, a good bit of nausea and vomiting with this t- headache type, um, and you typically have either photophobia or phonophobia, meaning bright lights make your headaches worse or sounds. And it doesn't even have to be a loud sound; just kind of more of you know a sound that's getting on your nerves can can make your headache worse. Um, you can have what we call an aura before this headache type, so that's a warning sign, something that. You know, and it can be different things. The most common would be something that happens with your vision. Maybe you suddenly see squiggles in your vision or bright lights, and it's a warning for your migraine that's about to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would, I would. And the other thing is sometimes people have smells. Yeah, you that's can. That's another one. Mm-hmm. Um, but vision is probably mm-hmm. that's that's the biggest one. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the one I would experience before yeah. I had my migraines. Um, and m- the migraines, we had talked about how headaches tend to run in families. Yes. And migraines are a big one yes. that run in families. Yes. So usually at least 50% of the kids that we see, if, if probably it's more, there's um, there's a family history of migraines. Yeah. Um, and so for migraines, like I said, we do have um, a lot of uh, prescription medicines that we mm-hmm. use um, to help prevent migraines, but that kind of more depends on how often the headaches are occurring before right. we start a treatment for those. So usually we say um, if they are, you know, four or less in a month, maybe we don't necessarily need something that we are taking every single day. Now, if all four of those are very debilitating and we're missing school because of them, then that might kind of change our story. But, you know, if you're just one or two a month, then maybe we can just get by with symptomatic treatment, meaning, you know, the medicine you take to stop your headache. But definitely if they're more than four a month or or those four are very impactful, then we need to think about um, something for preventive Yes. And there's some natural things that we can do before well, yeah. we go to the prescription medicines, which I tell my patients about all the time. And yes. I know you do, too. Yes. So tell us about what are some natural things that they could pick up at the pharmacy? So um, the one we probably use the most is riboflavin or vitamin B2. So it's been shown to prevent headaches in kids, teenagers and adults. It's what I personally used to take for my <laughs> migraines when I needed something. Um, and it, you know, there's no side effect to taking a B vitamin, you know, versus unfortunately some of our prescription medications do have side effects so Mm -hmm. absolutely if we can start with a natural approach we do um and the dosing you know is kind of maybe going to vary based off your size so you know your doctor can tell you the um the dose to try but a lot of times for a teenage or an adult-sized person it's 100 milligrams twice a day um you can find this um, at some pharmacies, but a lot of times you're not going to find it at that high of a dose. So you may need to go to like a, a vitamin um, shop, something like that, you know, a place that is going to sell, cater more to like a unique vitamin need. Yeah. And the riboflavin you would take every day? You would, yeah. right. And so not just when the headache occurs, it would be more of a kind of preventative right, thing. Right, right. Um, and the good thing about the B vitamin is it's what we call water-soluble. Mm-hmm. So um, it's very safe. You can't really overdose it you, because no. your kidneys will just excrete it um, if you have any extra. So that's one thing I think parents do get kind of worried about. But it's very safe. Um, we use it in kids all the way to adults. So. Yeah. Um, and then it's a natural way. Um, another one would be magnesium. Yes, yeah. So we use magnesium, especially at night, because because it's 
um, it can help with sleep. So it's been shown to kind of maybe be a natural help for restless leg as well for some people. Um, but it, it kind of just helps you relax. And so given that dose at night and you just take that once a day, if you take it twice a day, uh, that, then that start working like milk of magnesia. <laughs> and so if you have constipation, it's two birds, one stone, but otherwise you, you know, you do just want to limit that to once a day. Yeah. So, yeah, so those are some natural ways and that they work, you know, yes, they, 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 they really truly do. work. And um, so that's something that you can always do before you have to get on the prescription medications. Right. Um, we'll take a break and we'll continue our discussions about pediatric neurology after the break. We'd love to hear any questions and comments you may have or share some experiences you may have. We've talked a lot about headaches. So if you have any um, stories about your headaches, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Can't get to a radio? Well, don't worry. MPB Think and Music Radio are available online and on our MPB public media app. It's simple. Just log on to our website at mpbonline.org to get started. This is MPB Think Radio. Last time on the Gestalt Gardener. You know, I walk here in the mornings, and uh, did I already say it kicked my butt this morning? It's uh, not quite two and a half miles each way. Sort of get pumped for the program, you know. I see dead pine trees here in their random trees. Most of the time, they've been struck by lightning, and they get a lot of pine beetles in them. So anyway, if you've got a pine tree that turns completely brown, the ends of the branches are dead, uh, chances are if it wasn't struck by lightning, didn't have root damage, it's pine bark beetles. And for more garden advice, tune in to the Gestalt Gardener tomorrow, 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. News you can trust in radio built around you. Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Southern Remedy, kids and teens. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, kids at mpbonline.org. is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens and MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC. We've been talking today with pediatric neurologist Dr. Sarah Connerly um, about different topics in pediatric neurology, particularly headaches, but we've had lots of calls about different topics in neurology. Um, we still have a few minutes left and we'd love to hear from you, so give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Looks like we've got another caller, and we'll try to get to her before the show ends. Um, so go ahead, Debbie. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I wondered if, in your experience, have you found that children who are shy children and therefore more tense in social situations, do they tend to have more headaches than those children who are not shy? You know, I can't say I have found that. I mean, I'd, I'd certainly understand you know the thought process thought process there but i i can't say that i have seen that um i think um you know kind of your personality or your tendencies don't necessarily you know trigger headaches with maybe the exception in our you know younger kids and older kids if they have any mood issues like depression or anxiety those you know maybe can uh, trigger headaches um but just being shy i don't i don't know that i've necessarily made that association well, it might be something you might I will think, yeah, I'll think see. about that in the future. Okay. Thank <laughs> right. you for taking my call. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Debbie. You're welcome. So we've talked a lot about headaches. One thing that um, we were going to try to talk about real fast before the show ended, um, because it is a very common thing we see, um, is that what we call a febrile seizure or a fever seizure. Mm-hmm. Um, so seizures that you get when you have a high fever. 
um, because it's pretty common. Three to four kids out of 100 yeah. kids it was the statistic I read. So um, we do see that usually between six months and five years old. Um, so tell us a little bit about what to do if you have a febrile. Well, let's start with why do you get these febrile seizures or when would you get it? Not just how it's not how high the it's temperature not, is. Right. It's how quick the temperature got there. So, you know, it doesn't have to be a 105, 106 fever. It can be a 101 fever. But if it went from zero to 60 very quickly, um, that is what gives you that febrile seizure, that quick spike. Um, and so usually the child is totally healthy. You don't even realize that they're sick. And that um, that febrile seizure, that seizure is the first sign of their illness. You know, after it's over, you feel them and you're, you know, gosh, they're so they're so warm and you realize that they have a fever at that point which um is is the typical case for things it's usually a shaking jerking all over type of seizure versus maybe like a steering type um and they usually are going to be pretty brief meaning a couple minutes for a parent that does feel like forever (laughs) but um they are usually self-resolving in in a few minutes yeah so what would you tell a parent to do if they saw that their child was having a seizure um, and they, it does seem to be, well, it could be a seizure in general, but we're going to go with febrile seizures now. What kind of, what are some tips that they can do when the child is having a seizure? So in the middle of the seizure, you know, the number one thing is keeping the child safe. So, you know, we say try to roll them over to their side. Their left side is preferable if you can remember that. But again, adrenaline is high. Um, making sure they're not going to fall off of wherever they are. So if they're on the couch or sitting in a chair try to put them onto the ground. Never, ever, ever put anything in their mouth. The swallowing your tongue thing is not a thing. So you you cannot swallow your tongue. And um, when a, someone is having a seizure, that jaw clenches down. And even if you put a metal or a wooden spoon in their mouth, they could injure themselves. They could break that object or break a tooth. Um, never try to hold the child down. Don't try to stop the movement, but you can cradle their head and keep them supported. Um, uh, And then, you know, we, we say try to time it, you know, try to find a watch or your phone and to see how long it's lasting. And if you're starting to approach that five minute mark and it's not stopping on its own, if you don't have rescue medicine, meaning this is the first febrile seizure your child is having, it's probably time to start calling 911. Yeah. And, um, you know, after your first one, we would recommend at least getting evaluated. Yes. Um, but, you know, after you've had one, the likelihood of having another is if you had it under one, it's actually 50%. Yeah. So it's pretty high that this will happen again. Um, so if it's the first time, we definitely recommend going to be evaluated. But if they get checked out, everything is fine. If they have another other one, we just make sure we treat supportively. Absolutely, yeah. And one thing to note is that just because you have a febrile seizure does not mean you're going to have seizures later on in life. That's correct. Um, actually, most children that have febrile seizures do not have seizures later on right. in life. Um, so we've had some great discussions today with Dr. Sarah Connerly, and we really appreciate her coming on today and answering all your questions. Thank you for your calls and comments. Um, this has been Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. It's a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from listeners like you. Today's show was engineered by Jay White. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod. Join us next Thursday for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. And stay tuned for NPR's Hearing Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio. Radio.